Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks Light on carry by ever get back cause it's real Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Here's your host, James Christopher. Hi, and welcome back to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher, and we do have a packed show. We're excited because David Gassaway, the general manager of the San Antonio Missions, one of the longest-running minor league teams in the system, was going to be joining us. My business partner, Nathan Bybee, will be joining me for a segment of From the Bleachers as we sit at a UT baseball game and have a conversation about all things baseball and whether or not his sister's memory is what it used to be. Keith Smith joins us to talk a little bit about spring training. And of course, Scott McIntyre is popping in to talk about some of the fun minor league baseball rebrands this season. And it wouldn't be an episode of Let's Get To Without It, Things About Baseball My Dad Hates. But as we get started today, I am reminded of a quote from the great John Fogarty. Will beat the drum and hold the phone, the sun came out today. We're born again, and there's new grass on the field. That's right. Today is the day. Today really is the day that the Major League Baseball season starts. The rest of the 28 teams who didn't get to play in Japan are starting today. Yes, that's right. Today is the day, boys and girls, the real start of the season. It begins the marathon, the odyssey, if you will, the beginning of a relationship. We're going to start out like you do in any new relationship, all hot and heavy for each other. We literally can't get enough. We just want to experience everything. And then we're going to slide into a comfort zone. Maybe at times we take each other for granted, thinking that we'll always be there. And then we'll have to decide later on near October if we're ready to commit. But really, it's not a real relationship. It's more like a Ross and Rachel relationship because then we're going to spend the rest of an offseason going, will they, won't they, knowing that we will again. But let's not think about 2020 now because 2019 lay ahead of us filled with nothing but beautiful possibility. But I want to take a second to talk to my friends out there that are Orioles fans Giants fans, Rangers fans, and other teams that look at the impending 162-game schedule and think, what's out there for me? Guys, be positive. Enjoy today because today you are undefeated. There is nothing again but possibility. You're still in it. So get out to a park where it's still beautiful. And I was thinking about this with Larry, the GM, who joined us in our last episode. Even if you you look at the schedule and you think to yourself, I don't have a chance at winning. There's no division championship coming. There's still so much to root for because baseball is always as much about the future as it is the present. And so look at your new players. Look at your prospects that are going to come up and get their first taste of the big leagues. Look at the fact that, hey, maybe they're not hitting it out like you think they're going to, but they're barreling the ball up. Look at the movement on some of their pitches. Really find a reason to be excited because it's a beautiful game to behold. I want to talk real quick, though, about some extensions that happened because I love the fact that teams seem to be pivoting and now working to re-sign some of their own free agents and soon-to-be free agents. So I think it's super cool that Mike Trout's staying in, in Anaheim. For as much as I wanted him, I know that my Cardinal fans have to be excited about Paul Goldschmidt. And of course, us Astros fans. In one weekend, it was Ryan Presley 
Alex Bregman and Justin Verlander, and by extension, Kate Upton, staying in Houston. It means the world to know that those players are going to be hanging around. You know, for an Astros fan perspective, we are always trained and conditioned to wait for the bottom to fall off. And at least it shows that Mr. Crane and Mr. Lunau are not going to let the bottom drop off, at least for a while, by those signs. But we also have to take a second to mourn, to pour one out. When you get to the park, I want you to think about the fact that baseball affects everything. It really literally affects the air that we breathe. It smells better when there's a hot dog in it, when it's fresh cut grass, the sounds, the crack. And it even affects the birds of the sky. 18 years ago, one of those birds paid the ultimate sacrifice to provide joy in those intervening moments in the baseball offseason with one of the most memorable YouTube videos. So we want to send a special rest in peace. We are still thinking of you to the seagull that Randy Johnson literally exploded with a fastball. Our thoughts are with you and your family. We wished you nothing but the best, but just know that your sacrifice has not gone in vain because I share that video at least three or four times a year. So thank you. Like I said, though, we have a great show. I'm pretty excited to be talking to Dave Gassaway, the general manager of the San Antonio Missions, because in many ways, this show started in San Antonio. It's not really that big a stretch. Again, I'm a Houston kid. Anybody that's listened to this podcast for five seconds knows that I'm a Houston kid. So I didn't really know anything about minor league baseball until, unless, you know, what I'd seen in Bull Durham. I'd never been to a game. There was never a reason to. I grew up in a major league city. But I married my wife and she grew up in San Antonio without a major league team. And so she would go to the San Antonio missions. So we started to go after we got home from the army. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with everything about what is minor league baseball, the Balapino and the puppy taco, all the little kitschy stuff they did, the races, the fun stuff. It was such a just a blast to be at. And so in many ways, my love affair with this part of the sport began, you know, in 2002, 2003 at Nelson Wolf Stadium when we went to our first missions games. So I'm very tickled to have him on the show today. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to talk baseball with him, to talk about their big changes that they're making with the team. And again, to kind of, for me, go full circle with what the missions have meant to my love of baseball. So thanks for sticking with us. And uh, we're looking forward to, to getting down to some baseball today. As we move to the season, we're going to be talking to a lot of fans of the game who just want to come on and talk baseball and have a new or different perspective than the perspective of those of us who are kind of on the show all the time. To that end, we're stoked to welcome Keith Smith. Keith is a lifelong Twins fan and has been a Houston Astros fan since the 90s. In his current day job, he is the golf services manager at Top Golf in Katy, which is right outside of Houston. He, is fam- he and his family just got back from spring training. And so before we talk to him, though, big shout out to his daughter, Kayla, and his son, Catcher. Keith, James, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, Jimmy, man. Thanks for having me. This is great. I, I know that you are a big baseball fan. I know that you have a nine-year-old son named Catcher. I do. Which I he, think uh, it indicates. He, 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 yeah. So talk a little bit about, like, what is it about the game? How did you get into it? And, you know, how long have you been a fan? Well, to be honest with you, I grew up in Minnesota, so um, 
I had a hockey family. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, baseball just kind of became life when I chose not to play hockey when I was like seven, finally. And, uh, you know, I, it just, it, it caught on to me. I played inner city, St. Paul, Minneapolis, like dirt fields, like real sandlot. Oh, wow. And um, uh, it, it just, I just loved the game. I love the the thought processes that went into it. It's not, you don't have to be built like a hockey player where you got muscles that you don't know you have muscles. Um, you know, the, the Tony Gwynn, the Kirby Puckett, the Jordan <laughs> Brett. Right. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not, no, they're not roided out. They're not muscle bound. And, um, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but the, I just loved the game. And, um, watching the twins early on and I had family that worked uh, at the Metrodome actually in the in the early eighties and just got to experience the the whole thing and, and when the game to me was pure. Just um just loved it. There's 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 not much more I can say. So growing up in Texas, you can take a look at someone and say, Oh, you can play football. But you're right, baseball there's kind of a place everywhere for you to play. There is, and you know, it, you know, moving to Texas was a was a whole another beast um, with with the football thing. Um, it it the, the the size didn't matter. I'm five eleven, you know. Played high school, college you know, at, at one ninety. I'm not gonna tell you what I weigh now in my forties. <laughs> um, it uh, regardless, I can still get out there and, and play with my son and play men's softball. Um, with, with, with the young ones, it's just, I play smarter, not harder anymore, but the game itself, I get goosebumps walking on the little league fields, um, with my son knowing I'm going to coach, coach a game that some people take too serious, but, uh, man, it's really hard. I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. The smell, the, um, the look, the dirt going to work with my dirty shoes that I wore the night before, which I probably didn't. <laughs> But, you know, for those that understand, you can't explain it. It, It's like it's like childbirth. You don't know what it feels like to be a father and be there uh, until you are. Right. But that's to me what what a baseball field and and baseball is to me. So you grew up in Minnesota. Uh, You still consider yourself a Twins fan? I do. Uh, I, I can't not be a Twins fan. I went through the bad times, the, the, the early eighties. Um, granted I was 11 when they won their first world series. So I didn't have to last that long being miserable, but, um, you know, 87, 91, the, the Braves, the Cardinals. Um, I am definitely still a Twins fan. It's embedded in me between, um, you know, I'm, I'm staring in my office right now at my Frank Viola signed Jersey. Um, I got Kirby Puckett, my Ken Herbeck. I've met Gary Gaetti because he coached the Skeeters. Right. And um, I was, you know, I was there in his rookie season. He had a home run in his first at bat in the Metrodome. Um, big number eight, the G-Man, uh, Tom Brunanski. Well, I can, I can go on and on. Um, definitely, definitely still a Twins fan. But the, the Astros are my, they're my team. How how long have you been down here? How long did it take you to get ingrained in the Astros? And and I think I speak for every Astros fan out there. We do not feel sorry for you in your World Series at eleven. 
Uh, I got mine well, at 41. Yeah, man, man. I, I'm kind of with you on the Astros there, but, you know, my son got his uh, his World Series at eight. and My grandson got his at four months. I, I mean, this kid's entitled. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, they, he, he's going to live the rest of his life with a World Series ring somewhere on a shelf, you know? Right. Um, but um, I, I moved to Texas when I was a freshman in high school. Um, my dad's job just let us down here, and uh, it is what it is. But I was already, you know, I was growing on some of the Astros, the Jose Cruzes, um, the Nolan Ryans, and Mike Scott. So I knew baseball, but the Astros themselves were, I mean, you know, it was like watching the Expos. They just, they, they weren't somebody you followed religiously unless you were here. Right. But when I got here, it, I just, I, I kind of took on the whole Texas thing. It, it's a, I don't know if you know the North or not, but it's a different world in the South and Houston. Even in Metropolis, like St. Paul, Minneapolis, I can, I can drive both sides 15 minutes. I can't get out of my neighborhood in 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, talking to uh, Benjamin Hill. He's a reporter for MILB.com. And he, I was like, yeah, I really want to get to El Paso. And he's like, well, why haven't you? You live in Austin. I was like, right. It's nine hours away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, getting across the uh, the country of Texas is a chore. So you went to spring training, um, just got back, right, just a few days ago? We um, did. We just got back on Sunday. So tell me – I mean, just tell me everything. Uh, what teams did you see? Where did you end up? Because I think, you know, what players did you get to meet? Because I think the thing that people are um, shocked at is just the access that you get to everything when you're down there. There is, Jim. The, the access – the, the the closeness, um, it, it's very very um, personal. Um, they're, they're close to you, and this is our third visit. We went to Kissimmee. We then have been to West Palm Beach twice now, and uh, I'll, I'll just go back to last year. So last year we got up close and personal with the um, with Altuve, oh, an amazing cool. amazing man. I mean, I met him through work also, but what he does with the kids and just being who Altuve is, there, there's a reason he's, you know, the face of the team with Bregman a close second right now. But um, it, it, it's it's so amazing just to watch the kids and their smiles. And um, my wife puts up with me and my son because uh, we could sit back there and watch batting practice all day. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and never, never leave. But a lot, a lot of it, the, the kids and patients. I mean, my son got to meet. Um, so he met Marisnik last year, uh, Marwin last year, Verlander, Keuchel. Um, I'm just doing the big names. My my son got a bat handed to him by a by a minor league catcher named Michael Papirski from LSU. Oh, cool! Who is a, a very close friend? They were roommates with, with they were roommates with Bregman um, in college. So that was a really cool experience also and um it just kind of builds on that coming to the next year i mean we had a we had a choice my wife kind of gave me uh two options it was skiing or spring training this year and uh you know what i chose absolutely yeah i found out um that's my birthday present next year so i think me and tim get to go so um, uh 
So did you, did you, did you just stay around West Palm or did you check out, because also the nationals are there. So I got to think that that's just got to be nuts. Like, is it separated or do you see as many nationals as you do Astros? they're, they're, They're together in the complex, but they're definitely separated. There's about 18 fields out there. Um, on each side, like nine and nine about with practice fields, pitching fields, uh, everything that goes along with it. Sure. Um, it's the, all of the grapefruit league. It's all pretty close. It's, it's within three to four hours of multiple cities. And, you know, so this, this year in particular, we, we stay in Fort Lauderdale. It's a 45 minute drive to West Palm and 55 minutes to Jupiter. Oh, okay. And, and 65 to um, Fort Fort St. Lucie. Um, we we can go to other places too, but we managed to catch about six games the last two years within within an hour drive of our hotel. So we've seen the Nationals, obviously the Astros is every single game, the Mets, the Cardinals, the um, the Marlins, and all of that is within, like I said, three fields total, and you can see all the games. Um, it's 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 amazing, and even if you work it out right again with the kids and the patience on where you where you stay and stand, they come to you. You don't have to act act out, raise your hand. Hey, there's nothing crazy about it. If you're just a respectful kid, they come to you. It's it's very simple. Keiko last year, I know he's he's on the fence right now, but um, you know, my son and I having a great conversation overlooking the bullpen before a start. He uh, has some other parents and kids were a little rowdy, kind of, kind of jumping on him about not signing at the time. And, uh, but that's his job. His job is to throw a baseball right. effectively. And, um, even some of the other people didn't understand that, but, uh, come end of his session and get ready to start, you know, I guess he heard me and my son just kind of talking about his stride, you know, the, um, the guide of the glove, you know, what he just did to tell his catcher, he was throwing a fastball. How did he turn his glove up and down to show he's throwing a curveball? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, I guess Keiko overheard us or whatever, and he looked right at my son. And he goes, this is for you. And he tossed him his ball. I, I think people need to remember that they have a, a job to do, and their job isn't to sign your memorabilia, which, let's be honest, some of you are going to go sell it on eBay anyway. That's, uh, Jim, we, we can talk all day. I got a Hunter Penn store, which has nothing to do with spring training. Um, but so years ago, I was blessed enough to be given the opportunity to go meet Hunter Pence at one of the fire stations in Houston. My buddy is a captain and they were doing a promo where your uniform number, you went to that fire station number and did a friends and family visit. Oh, cool. Oh, Jim was awesome. So my daughter's young. Uh, my wife was pregnant with my son. And uh, we brought, you know, we brought a poster. That's all we brought. Um, because I thought that was right. You you get your autograph. You you say hi to Hunter Pence. I mean, I get goosebumps. He was early 20s and I was in my, what, 30s. And I still get goosebumps with these major league baseball players. It's um just the, the love. But um, so friends and family, there's people showing up with stacks of hats. <sighs> and you, you know for a fact those are not going on anybody's shelf. They're they're for retail, and 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 Pence knew that, but he was very professional. Signed everything, you know. Some of the families be like, ah, you know, hey, Hunter, 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 can we take a picture? And he shut them off and say, not today. 
but he was still signing everything. Yeah. And then we got through the line and it was, you know, holding my daughter in her little pink Astros gear and me and my, my Jersey and, uh, asked for the poster and he smiled gladly signed it. He looks at us. He goes, y'all want a picture? Oh, that's and cool. Every, everybody just, they were like, what? Are you kidding me? But I've still got that picture um, cherished. You know, I'm holding my daughter in my arms. My wife's pregnant. And there's Hunter Pants, all six, five of them, which I was surprised at. And, yeah. Uh, just, you know, another amazing guy. I mean, I've got, I can tell you bad stories about athletes I've met too, but I don't have very many. So why don't you tell everybody kind of what you're doing now as we wrap up? Oh, man. I mean, I'm. We, I, uh, I coach my, my son in Little League. So as of last night, we are now officially 2-0 and in the Spring League. Um, I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time. It's, it's work and family. I, I, work, I run Top Golf here in Houston. Okay. Um, which is, again, blessed me with lots of opportunities to meet many athletes, um, which also pushed me towards spring training because I was able to uh, text Josh Reddick all through the morning before the game on the 11th, that Monday morning. And, um, which is why, uh, he got to come over and meet us by the tarp on the, on the third base side, uh, which is how I got to meet George Springer. I I should send you some of these pictures, Jim. Oh my God. Um, You're making me jealous. George Springer is like my favorite Astro of this new crop. I love everything about him. Well, he's the one that I'm worried about signing. Um, but we'll, we'll fight that when we get there, you know? I think he'll resign. I, I actually feel pretty good about his. There was a, a tweet from Chandler Rome yesterday that said that there have been conversations about, as he put it, all kinds of stuff. So I, I feel good about it. I'm totally optimistic about this whole team and uh, and Jim Crane, the dedication to the team and winning um, for quite a while. Right. But yeah, so Keith, we will have you back on. Uh, good luck with uh, your kids' baseball team. Good luck with Top Golf, and thanks for joining. Let's get to you. That sounds great, Jim. I uh, look forward to hearing it. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. Nathan Bybee has been my brother-in-law for about 19 years, my business partner and co-owner of all things Twitchy Dolphin Flicks and Austin Revolution Film Festival for about 12 years, and a lifelong baseball fan. We caught up with him during my big birthday baseball extravaganza in mid-March to talk a little baseball and to fact-check his sister from a few weeks earlier. Okay, so welcome to Let's Get To. We are going into the bleachers at my second Longhorn game of the year, and I'm excited to welcome my brother-in-law and fellow Longhorn, Nathan Bybee. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, um, we had your sister on. Yes. And, uh... She wanted to fact check a couple things with okay. you before we kind of get into your history with the game. Uh, was your first ever game in Detroit? Yes, it was. Well, okay. first major league game, yeah. First major league game in Detroit. Yep. Did you meet Oral Hershiser? We never. I never met Oral Hershiser. I don't believe. Well, you know, I, I take that back. When we went to LA, we may have we may have gone down to try to get autographs, but I don't remember. Yeah. Specific players and Oral Hershiser was a big name, so I'd be surprised. So what she'd said was that y'all might have met him at a at the camp, but you don't know for sure. Um, so oh, at, the, at camp? At, at missions camp. At missions camp. No, it wasn't. It was. Uh, she might have been thinking of Brett Strong. Brett Strong. Okay. Was a was a pitcher who was kind of like the biggest name at the camp. Sure. Current Astro pitching uh, pitching coach, actually, still to this day. So, um, how long? Tell me a little bit about like your history of the game. How long have you been a baseball fan? 
Um, I my first memory of baseball, and uh, don't get mad at me on a baseball podcast. But what, my first memories as a child of loving sports was football. Okay, and well, you're was, a tech, we're Texans. We're Texans, and it was very hard for me to even understand the concept that football season was over. Okay, um, but. Then my dad introduced me to this thing called baseball, and it was, it was sort of like, oh, it's not football. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I guess it'll hold me over. But that was when I was very, very young, probably four or five years old. And then I obviously fell in love with it. Sure. We played it at Little League and enjoyed it. And then um, it was the mid-'80s. We had we were one of those few people that had cable. Right. And uh, I'm sure so, so many people have the same story about, you know, you either you had WTBS and Braves fans or you were hit WGN and Cubs fan, and I always liked Harry Carey better than yeah. Skip Carey. So <laughs> well, I, I became a Cubs fan. And But I think that's fair. And, and the one thing that always bugged me was, you know, I'm not a Cubs fan, obviously, but I grew up in Houston. But when a lot of people called all these people Cubs bandwagon fans. And I, yeah. I don't think that's true when they won the World Series. I think it was was the Cubs had a truly national fan base because even I got Cubs games as often as I got Astros yes. games in Houston. Well, and I remember one of the things I loved about the Cubs games, too, was they, uh, they, the intro of the game was always 1984 by Van Halen. Okay. So it sort of had a tie-in for that for me, too. I love right. the music. But, uh, but, yeah, anyway, it was... Uh, it was, it was you didn't have a lot of choices back then. You didn't have the channels we have now. And you had the Saturday, you know, Saturday game on NBC typically, which were always fun to watch. And, right. you know, you get Vince Scully and some of those, you know, just great voices of the game. And But uh, on a day-to-day basis, I could always catch a Cub game or a Braves game. And yeah. Just became a Cub fan. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, again, I think that's fair. Yeah. Now, you guys, like Jessica was telling us, y'all grew up, when y'all would take your National Lampoon's vacation trips, you would always find a park. If we could, absolutely. Multiple parks if we could. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you and Shelly kind of still do that, right? Like, y'all will hit up baseball games wherever. Yeah. We, we, we like, and we like minor league games now. We, you know, when we were traveling as a kid, it was all, we were trying to hit all the major league parks. Sure. Part of it was because my dad had grown up watching baseball on TV, and um, a lot of the old classic parks were being torn down. Oh, okay. And so he wanted to take me to see Jessica to see the you know as many of the old parks as he, we could get to, and and um, you know we were we just made it a point to go find those pro games. Um, nowadays, I'm, I'm just as happy to go to a minor league game or sure. as a pro game. They're sometimes easier, yeah, easier to find or cheaper. Now, um, you're a beer guy. What's that? You're a beer guy. Beer guy. Yes. Yeah, you're a beer guy. You're an aficionado. Um, how have parks changed as far as what they offer for, like, food and beer and stuff when you were growing up? Well, when we were growing up, it was very basic. It was yeah. popcorn, peanuts, a hot dog, and a Coke. And a, Coke. And a beer. Yeah, yeah. Probably right. a Budweiser. Or and, a and nowadays, I'm looking around, I see I see caramel Let's corn, see I see craft beer, I yeah. see corn dogs and queso dogs, and it's... It's almost become a foodie destination as much as a fan, sports fans destination. Yeah, it really has. Um, and you were telling me about a park. Like, talk to me a little bit about Colorado, the Rockies Park. Rockies the, park. the beer there is crazy, right? Yeah, I believe Blue Moon actually was developed at the stadium there in Colorado. 
maybe fact check me on that, but I'm right. sure that's right. Um, and so, yeah, they have, you know, I know they have this in Houston now too, but I mean, they've got actual bars installed at stadiums now, and you can just sit at a bar. You don't have to have a seat anymore. You, yeah. You may have to have a ticket, but you can just sit at a bar and hang out and watch the game from anywhere. It's great. I, I love it. One of the things that started happening too, uh, that last year was the first year Oakland did it, the Cardinals are doing it now too. And it's called Cardinals All Access. And so basically, for like 30 bucks a month, you get a standing room only ticket to every game in case all, if all you want to do is go have a beer at the park. Like, they really, I think you're right, they kind of dove into this whole like food thing. I think so. I think food, the beer, I hadn't heard about the past. I, I would probably do that. It'd be great I would, if I lived in a city where yeah. the games were. But you can also, like, you can hear the music in the background. Like, this is another thing was not necessarily part of the sports experience when we were growing up is sort of the, the dance music, club music. Yeah. It was a lot of organ music, you know. Yeah, you used, right, to, have, right, you right. used to have the old organ guy. Um, but nowadays, you know, I guess they're appealing to broader audiences and, and making the whole experience a lot of fun. I mean, we see kids out here playing. Yeah. Um, you know, got different music, great food. I mean, no, you're right, though. Like, we're here with 18 people. It's my birthday. We're here with 18 people. I yeah. bet you... Five of us, me and you, my brother and my dad, you know, probably like baseball. Um, but it's like DJ Longhorn. Like we're looking <laughs> over there, and Cedric and Lish and are dancing. So yeah, it is. A, yep. It is a different, different experience. It is, and I got you know videos, video. Back in the day, the Astros used to have one of the best Scorp- video yeah. boards, if you will. Lights, and it yeah. was the lights when you know the home run would. Now yeah. it's. We were just watching clips of movies over here while they were doing trivia. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, just it's... a different game. Different different experience. I do have to say, though, this has to be the most crowded Longhorn game I've ever been to. This is definitely one of the most crowded Longhorn games. And props to Texas Tech for you know being as ranked as highly as they are and um, bringing out a crowd like this. Because not every Longhorn game uh, no. brings out a crowd like this. But this is really fantastic. What, you know, Texas has always had a really great stadium, uh, fairly large, I think, for college. May not be as much disparity in the size of stadiums anymore as it used to be, but yeah, you know, we have the Texas has the stadium they have because they will fill it on occasion. But it's not every game, and this is a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, they have the temporary I've bleachers. I've never seen the temporary bleachers. Before. Yeah, might they, be the first time they got them crammed in here pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we were at a Sam Houston State game, and you know, to your point. It, the seats were really just around home plate, like just that at home. There was nothing down the lines. It was right. berm seating, if anything. Yeah. Um, so we're we're on the cusp of season starting. What what ball games are you gonna be checking out this year? Do you have any any planned already? Uh, my wife owes me an Astros game from from a birthday present from okay. last year. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so I'm definitely gonna go see the Astros. Um, We've got. We're going to see the San Antonio Missions play. We're going to see some Corpus Christi hooks. Yeah, um, I love that park. I love I Waterburger too. Field. Yeah, so Waterburger Field is great. Um, yeah. Modeled a bit after the park in Round Rock, where the Express play, which is uh, also a great park. Yeah. And um, now that I'm no no longer living in Austin, it's a little harder for me to come to see Round Rock games as I used to. I used to love to go to those, but now yeah. I'll go see some Missions game now that I'm in San Antonio. I love the Missions. <laughs> well, Nathan, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, Nathan, thanks for coming on, and it was a great time at the ballpark. Not only did it feel like the largest attended baseball game in Texas history, turns out it was the largest attended game in Texas history. Texas would drop that one against Tech, but would win the series and a great start to conference play. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. 
Hey, we are excited to welcome back to Movie Bark story producer Scott McIntyre. How you doing, Scott? Hey, buddy, I'm great. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation all night. I really have. So one of the things that we really love about minor league baseball is the fact that they are not afraid to mix it up for fans and rebrand. I know that we've already talked about the Copa de Diversión, which I'm getting super good at pronouncing, by the way. Uh, I feel like I'm practicing. What are we talking about today as far as what are the, some of the things our minor league teams are doing? You know, we, we talk about the rebranding and the different uh, the different jerseys that, that teams are, are throwing but I got to tell you, one of my favorite themes that that I've seen this year, and my, my tip of the cap is going to go to the Lansing Lugnuts, because on July 20th, they're having a tribute to Burt Reynolds. Now, how awesome is that? Specialty team jerseys, a bobblehead giveaway for their native son, Burt Reynolds. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they basically went and went with the jersey based on the Trans Am. You've, you've got the big bird. You've got, you know, the solid black. It, it's it's awesome. All, all people have to do, they just go out and they, they Google Lansing lug nuts and Burt Reynolds jersey, and, and life yeah. is good from there. That's all they need to see. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that the, one of the things, and we'll talk about a couple of other teams, but one of the bummers I have for me as a fan is they often don't sell these in the store, right? They don't make replicas for the store. You basically have to buy them. They are generally speaking, they are auctioned off for charity. So generally the 50 or so that they make are the 50 they have as opposed to very rarely. Like I know that the, the Durham Bulls did this with the lollygaggers. Well, they will sell a replica on their online store for everybody to have. But generally speaking, like the Lansing lug nuts, there will be no replica made. So you have to pretty much go pay the, what I'm assuming will be a couple hundred bucks for in, in the live or online auction for charity. One of the ones I'm real excited about, one of the rebrandings that I'm actually going to be at is for Memorial day, the Corpus Christi hooks will be playing as the blue ghosts and hardly anybody knows this, but um, the USS Lexington, its nickname was the Blue Ghost, and so they do a whole redesign with their team. And I believe if I'm, I have to look at this, and, and I'll ask the Corpus Christi guys when I speak to them in a couple of weeks, I do believe that that was almost the name of the team anyway, and then they went with the Hooks instead. That I, th- I think it's I think it's great that that people go out and they find something that's local to the community, and they and they and they really they really hit it. Other teams take it a more light hearted. Note such as the uh, the Portland Sea Dogs. Shall we just right. discuss the Portland Sea Dogs in their chocolate yeah. uniforms that they'll be wearing on June twenty first? Uh, well, you're you're saying it's lighthearted, but and as y'all will hear when you talk when we hear from the Portland Sea Dogs play by play guy, it's not lighthearted at all. So I wanted to tell the people who are they playing as in June. They are playing as the Whoopie Pies. The Whoopie Pies, which I actually don't know what that is. Do you know what that oh, is? Oh, yeah. The Whoopie Pie, man. It's, it's this, it's this luscious. You, you take two like creamy chocolate looking brownie cookie things and then you shove this beautiful white cream. I think it's, I think it's, it's listed on the, uh, the paleo diet. I'm not quite sure, but I think it is. <laughs> not sure what the cream's made out of in the middle, but, um, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, three bites into it, you've got sh- such a sugar high, you don't care, but there's, right. there's, there's a bit of a battle. Is there not between Maine and, uh, I believe it's Pennsylvania on who, who created the whoopie pie. Yeah, so um, the week, uh, the episode of uh, April 11th, we're going to basically focus in the entirely on the Boston Red Sox system, including talking to Mike Antonellis, who is the play-by-play 
announcer for the Portland Sea Dogs. And he didn't think it was funny. I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Maine Whoopie Pies. No, apparently there's another state that thinks they're the inventor of the Whoopie Pie. And Maine thinks they're the inventor of the Whoopie Pie. And so they are staking their claim to the ownership of the Whoopie Pie by by playing as that team uh, at least one day next season. I don't know if it's more than that, but yeah, they're like, they're like real fired up about it. Yeah. It starts on the day of their, uh, of the whoopie pie festival there in Maine, but I, I still got to tell you it's so in all honesty, I, I think it's awesome that they're doing that. The chocolate jerseys are, are something to behold, but the jerseys, that I'm really excited about seeing are when the Louisville bats are flipping over for two games this year. And they're becoming the mint, the Derby city mint juleps. Are you kidding me? That's incredibly awesome. These, these light lime green, sea green, foam green jerseys with, uh, with checkers, uh, designs on the arms that pretty much look like a a jockey silks. I think they're, yeah, I love that design too. It it was, uh, that was when I saw, where I think I tagged both you and Tim and I was like, this is clearly one of my favorites. Um, and I thought maybe that was one they were selling gear of in the store. I'm not, I'm actually going to go to the store right now. No, they're not selling the jerseys. They're selling t- t-shirts and stuff, but yeah, no, I think that's a beautiful design. And again, you know, obviously Louisville, Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby, the most, one of the most popular sporting events in the country period. So yeah, and they're wearing them you know, twice. They're wearing them twice this year. They're wearing them on April 13th. They're wearing them on April 27th as well, leading up to uh, so the same day as Thunder over Louisville. And then one week before the uh, run for the Roses kicks off the Triple Crown over in the horse racing world. This is why uh, if we started a horse racing podcast, you'd be the only one that would be on it. Um, yeah, nobody would listen because I don't know that much. <laughs> so I think it would bore them to tears. We, we've talked about Durham quite a bit, but I still got to go back to Durham again, the tobacconist. I think it's incredible that they're, they're going back to, I think it's like 1910, uh, another brown, orange brown jersey. So, um, so I guess brown is in this year. Uh, brown's the new, <laughs> brown's the new jersey black. <laughs> but right. Durham is, is taking a throwback to their history of the team with the, uh, the tobacconist because obviously, you know, tobacco comes from North Carolina. And as you and I have talked about, it's kind of like, it's sort of like, Hey, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's quite a move. You're, because a lot of people are just going to blow it off and, and, and think that tobacco is something bad. But these, these folks are being true to their history and true to their area. And kudos to the Bulls for, for pulling this off for, for this year. I think it's a great looking jersey. I think it's a great promo. You know, tip of the cap. Well, I think too, from. I, th- I think uh, kudos to you actually for pointing out the fact because I didn't, because whenever we talked about this for being on the show, I was like, I don't know, you know, the smoking thing being what it was. But I didn't realize until you told me that it was an actual team that existed. So, you know, I should probably not have reacted that way because I'm the one who gets mad when people get mad at the Colt 45s throwback stuff. How dare you have a handgun on something? Yeah, they were the back on this from 1902 up until 1913. They've been the Bulls since 1913. But, um, you know, I, I just the the city is nicknamed the Bull City is where all where that all comes from. And and it was a popular smoking tobacco actually in the 1900s. So if you want to get ticky about it. Bull Durham smoking tobacco is where it all came from. So the Durham Bulls uh, are still a nod. Uh, oh my, I'm sorry. 
So this is so random. And I just like I just like I, I figured something out or I made a connection. So when you drive from Austin to Houston, you drive through Giddings, Texas, home of the Buffaloes. There is a brick wall. You know, it's one of these old Texas towns that really quit changing anything in like 1940. Absolutely. There is a big paint on the side of a warehouse Durham Bull smoking tobacco ad that I never put two and two together until this very second. I'm very glad that that I can help you out on that. <laughs> but I do want to throw you one now that I know you're you're a little excited about. And that, that yeah. talks about our friends over in Charleston with the River Dogs. So first of all, I'm already a River Dogs fan. I followed him from afar. You know, hopefully we'll get them on the show at some point. But you know, they're they're a fun team anyway. And I don't know if you knew this. They were originally a uh, Bill Murray was part of the ownership team, but they are celebrating two things that I love. One, they're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Trivial Pursuit, which. Uh, for the people out there, you might not know this. Nobody knows this. Three people know this. But I actually won the U.S. Armed Forces Europe Deployed Trivial Pursuit Tournament in Bosnia in 1997. Did you get um, Did you get a gift card to like a local best Bosnian restaurant for that? Or, or <laughs> no, we got a, we got the newest copy of Trivial Pursuit. That was the prize. They didn't tell us the prize at, till the end. Um, but efficient, I, you know, very efficient. It was, it was very efficient. Yeah. So they're celebrating that, but they're also celebrating Seinfeld and they're playing as the Moops. Now, my Seinfeld friends know out there that that is the the question on the 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 question on the card was who invaded, and the answer was supposed to be the Moors, but there was a misprint on the card. The Moops. George gets a, gets in a fight with the Bubble Boy, and the Bubble Boys. Bubble Boy's uh, bubble deflates. And what's hilarious about this is two things. One, the jersey is amazingly designed both by looking like Trivial Pursuit pie pieces, but the lettering are in the shape of bubbles. (laughs) And the other thing they're doing is everybody that goes to the game gets the misprinted Trivial Pursuit card. So you will get the card of who invaded in the 1600s. And then the answer will say the moops. Yeah, it was not the Moors. Just, just so was, we know, yeah. everyone knows that it was not the Moors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, which I'm takes us excited. back to this is this is where you know baseball they they find the areas that are are going to get people to the park. It is one that I immediately went to. Uh, us making this show has been really hard on my wallet because I've gone from zero to buying a jersey so fast. And I would have done it with this one, but it does not look like, at least as of now, any are available for sale to the public. My hope is that will change because I categorically will get one. This is where we need uh, listeners in Charleston to reach out for you and do a brother solid. Yeah, you know what? Maybe uh, get us a copy of the card at least. You know, I'll, I'll absolutely buy someone's ticket and a beer in exchange for one of the cards. You heard it here first, sports fans. You heard it ticket, here first. Ticket and a beer for, for, a, for a Trivial Pursuit card. I love it. Stuff about baseball my dad hates. And as we sit down for stuff my dad hates about baseball, we're going to keep it with the theme of this episode. And Tim is going to talk to him about the alternative jerseys that minor league teams sometimes play with during their rebrands. So I'm really excited to hear how dad doesn't like the fake uniforms and how he feels that the, the players need to wear what they're playing every day, day to day. The only different alternate uniforms should be home away. So that's that's pretty exciting for me. 
Yeah, so we asked Dad. He actually really likes this. Um, he's really into it. Well, I guess he likes it. So that's a, that, that is a different reaction than I thought we'd get. For as much as our dad loves baseball, it seems he also equally loves throwing our podcast for a loop. Um, maybe next week's. The Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So one of the coolest parts about this podcast has been the opportunity to talk to teams. And, you know, we love talking to teams from all over the country. We love talking to new teams. But I was especially tickled when the San Antonio Missions decided to come on. I've been going to Missions games since 2003. After getting out of the Army, I married a girl from San Antonio and so we lived there for a year, and we've kind of been going pretty regularly ever since. So we're thrilled to be joined by David Gassaway, the general manager of the missions. David is entering his 30th season in professional sports and is 22nd with the missions and 16th as the team's GM. He served as an intern in 1990 to 1991, was the director of marketing from 1994 to 97, and served in his current capacity since 2004. He was a group sales executive for the High Desert Mavericks in 1992, the assistant GM for the Springfield Cardinals in 93, the general manager for the Independent League Somerset Patriots from 1998 to 2002, and president of the Utah Grizzlies Hockey Club in 2003 before returning to the Alamo City. In 2015, Gassaway was named the Texas League's Executive of the Year. In 1987, David graduated from San Antonio Judson High School. In 1991, graduated from Indiana University, where he was a double major in English and in journalism. David and his wife, Leticia, have been married for 26 years and have three children, Marie, 22, Diana, 20, and JD, 17. David, thanks so much for being with us, and welcome to Let's Get Two. Great. We appreciate it, and looking forward to talking to you. So let's just start from the beginning. How did you get into baseball and how did you end up becoming the general manager of one of the most tradition rich baseball teams in the country? Uh, well, it, it was, you know, it wasn't really designed um, that way out of high school. I um, grew up in San Antonio and um, went to Judson, um, but I went um when I was ready to go to college, I thought I was going to be a sports writer and I went to Indiana. They had a really good kind of journalism program, um, a great, uh, uh, student newspaper, the Indiana daily student. I went up to Indiana thinking I was going to be a sports writer. And after a couple of years realized that this, that kind of wasn't what I thought it was. It, it just, it really didn't mesh with kind of my personality and what I wanted to do. Um, always grew up loving sports. Unfortunately, never was good enough from a, from a playing standpoint to reach a level that, that was even, you know, good high school or, or college level. Um, and so, you know, I just, I knew I wanted to do something, you know, with sports in my career, but, um, other than that, didn't really have a good idea of what to do. And, um, it just so happens when I was in Indiana, a friend of mine, um, got a internship, a summer internship with the Chicago White Sox. And he was talking to me about this and I'm like, okay, I've never even considered working for a club before. Um, and this was back in 1989. Um, and it just so happens the winter meetings were in Nashville that year, which was probably a two-hour drive from Bloomington. And um, so I drove down there, 
looking for an internship, whether it was with a major league club or a minor league club. Um, and it, and it so happens that, um, San Antonio was there. Um, our president, our current president, Bro Yarbrough, who was the general manager at the time was winning executive of the year for the Texas league that year. I think he, I caught him in a good mood, um, right after he had won the award, um, kind of begged him, told him, you know, I would be back in San Antonio for summer, the summer begged him for, um, you know, to do anything. And so he um, gave me the opportunity to be an intern um, in the summer of 90. Um, and really from the first, the very first day of my internship in May of 90, I knew that uh, minor league um, baseball was, was exactly the right fit for me. What is it about minor league baseball that you like so much? It was, I mean, I, we do so many different things that, um, almost every day is, is a different, um, kind of animal for us. And that fit that, that, that is really kind of exciting for me. I'll give you two quick stories of, um, my very first day as an intern that, that really kind of solidified. This is, this is the life for me. Um, it was, it was, um, you know, the morning that I had gotten there for my internship and, um, I don't know, it might've been around 10 or 10 30. And, um, you know, we had two assistant GMs at the time and they were kind of talking with amongst each other. Um, one was kind of ragging on the other about being overweight one, but the, but the overweight guy was like, well, you know, I was a college catcher and, you know, I'm, I'm still a better athlete than you. And so they started kind of, you know, going back and forth at each other. And before I knew it, um, they had challenged each other to a, a a race out in the outfield for a hundred dollars each. And as the intern, it was my job to kind of hold both checks and almost kind of start the, start the drag race, if you will. And, and I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is going on. And, and, um, you know, one guy won, won the hundred dollars and, you know, I kind of started the race for him. I'm like, Wow, this is this is incredible. Um and so that was that was really my first hour in professional baseball. Wow. Uh, and it, so it was a lot of fun. That night, um, you know, we had a home game and um as one of my jobs as an intern, I was putting out some giveaway items um at, at our front gates and it was around three o'clock with gates opening around six. I noticed that there was a huge um kind of swarm of bees um, right around one of the light poles right next to the stands. And this was um, when we were still at the, still at the ballpark at St. Mary's university and, and just more and more bees started going there more and more bees. And I'm like, Oh my God, what, you know, we, we can't open the gates like this. And so I kind of went and talked to our general manager and he's like, well, you need to solve it. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, what? That was, <laughs> and, and so, and so I'm like, okay, here's my first project. It was the time where, um, the yellow pages were still in existence, a, a hard copy of the yellow pages. I looked through, you know, I tried to find, I found a beekeeper in San Antonio, um, begged him to come out. I said, it's an emergency. He ended up coming out and about five fifteen, so about 45 minutes before the gates opened, he was hauling out like four and five huge black, like hefty trash bag full of bees. Um, wow. I guess they had, they had nested in one of the speakers. Um, and like the queen was in there and he estimated taking out about 5,000 bees 
And so we got it. We got it um, all taken care of with about 30 minutes before gates opening. And I'm like, oh, phew. And uh, whoa, are these like then, honeybees? Or these are like yellow jackets? Yeah, what are yeah. These, these weren't these weren't wasps. These were these were more like yeah, they were more like honeybees. Um, Incredible. And so we got that done. The game went on. Um, you know, we're sitting. You know, having having some beers after the game. I'm like. That was that was incredible. The day went by in a blink of an eye, but so much happened in that very first day. And I'm like, this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, so a little bit about the missions for those of you who aren't from Texas. They are easily one of the most iconic minor league baseball teams in the entire system. People all over Texas have heard of them. I grew up in Houston, have heard of them. And then, you know, married a San Antonio girl and kind of bought into the fandom. So you guys are entering your 118th season. Correct. And then the first year in your history as a AAA team. This, yeah, this will be the first first time ever as a AAA team. Now you're part of the Brewers organization, which is fun because San Antonio is the largest minor league market and Milwaukee is the smallest major league market. I, I haven't really looked at it like that. That's, <laughs> that, that's Yeah, that's interesting. So the transition, both from double A AA to triple A, and then also moving to being part of the brewer system, what has it been like from a logistical standpoint? Has it been a headache? Has it been super easy? Uh, you know, it's been it's been a lot of work so far. The the fun part um, hasn't happened yet because um, I think the fun part will come, you know, when we when we open the season in April and we start seeing kind of that different level of play and a lot of those recognizable names in major league um, uh, players with major league experience um, on our field, both for us and for the and the opponents that we're going to be seeing. Um, but you know that transition when we were when we were told that we were um, you know minor league baseball, major league baseball wanted um, you know at Triple A to kind of leave Colorado Springs, and we were a natural place for them to go. And so that's kind of that that's how it happened. But the the transition has been. Uh, you know, from a logistics standpoint, we're we're completely redoing our clubhouses, both home and um, visitors. Um, we're redoing our batting cages, a lot of stuff underneath our stadium, putting about a million dollars into it to uh, kind of have better accommodations for the fan or for the uh, players. Um, and then travel is is a completely different animal for us. Um, than double A. When we're in the Texas League, we're busing everywhere, so we're not worrying about you know, all the equipment's going on the bus. We're not worrying about um, you know making flights or any of wow, that. Yeah. Um, and and the travel from the travel aspect of AAA, you know, we have to. We've already kind of booked all of our flights out through August. Um, we have to ship our equipment a lot of times because um, having the equipment go on the planes, and if they don't make a connection not having your equipment there, you know, could cost a game, which um, in this day and age with AAA, I mean, that, that the revenue that would be lost would be huge. Uh, and so, you know, we're FedExing our, our equipment. We're going to be FedExing our equipment on almost half of our trips. Um, so that's different, you know, providing, um, providing, um, you know, vehicles for, you know, different for umpires is different for us. So there, there's just, uh, there's a lot of logistical stuff that we're learning. Um, we've had a lot of help from clubs like uh, Nashville and Round Rock. They've been great in kind of 
um, directing us, hey, here here pitfalls to look out for. Here's things that have really worked for us. Um, so that's been a it's been a huge um, help. We're we're still a little anxious to make sure that we don't mess everything up, mess anything up. Um, you know, um, because AAA kind of has a, have a, the players have a different expectation of how things should run. Um, right. They're a little bit older, and so um, you know we're we're anxiously awaiting opening day. But um, it's been a lot of work making that transition. But hopefully, it it um, pays off in uh, you know the fun of on the field, and then obviously more um, fans in the stands watching watching a higher level of baseball. You know, you talked about some of the stuff you have to do to move up to AAA, upgrading the 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 increased logistical stress, upgrading the facilities at Wolf Stadium. But just on a day to day, how much interaction do you have with the parent club versus how much autonomy do you have? Well, um, you know, when when you look at it, um, and how I try to explain it to people, you know, there, there's kind of a, a distinction. We we do everything. Um, from you know the marketing, the business, getting the fans into the ballpark, the operations of the stadium, everything up until um, you know really you get onto the field. Um, that's where the Brewers have all you know say in you know their coaching staff, the players, you know who plays, how much, all of that. Um, and so there's there's that line of distinction um, you know, from the player development side. Now we work we work. Um, uh, you know, pretty closely with Milwaukee in um, almost every aspect that of concern. You know, hiring clubhouse managers, making sure um, the nutrition is there from kind of the food spreads. Um, we've worked with them on getting new, um, like our team doctors and our team orthopedics. You know, we've we worked hand in hand with Milwaukee on um, selecting ones that. Um, they uh, approve and that work well with us from a business standpoint. Um, we work, we work, we're kind of, you know, almost on daily communication with the farm director from Milwaukee, a gentleman named Tom Flanagan, um, from anything like, um, you know, housing for coaches to needing, you know, do we need to supply a bullpen catcher? Do we need to su- supply bullpen pitchers? Um, you know, how, uh, or you know, are we going to go visit um, spring training to you know, get some marketing materials and, and interview you know who are going to be our current players so we can kind of have um, you know some of that prepped and ready to go for opening day. So we work we work a lot with them on kind of logistics and you know, they have to approve. We're doing a, jer- a Brewers jersey giveaway. They have to approve that. Um, we're doing a couple of. Uh, uh, different marketing, you know, fun giveaway stuff that we want their approval on. Just, just from a, a you know, if they're they're going to put their name on it, they have to approve it. Um, but otherwise, business wise, operations wise, is really we kind of run everything here. So again, San Antonio Missions have a rich history, over 115 years of playing baseball, and you've had, you know, particularly with the when you were part of the Dodgers system, so many. Famous players come through this system, but now that you're part of the Brewers, like, are you still able to market some of those players, like, or or do, are you pretty much going to be confined to celebrating the players that are part of the Brewers system? Right. Yeah, we do not need approval. You know, if we're doing and uh, in, in part of San Antonio, like you mentioned, we have so many um, great alumni players from Adrian Beltre, you know, Mike Piazza. You mentioned Hershiser. 
Pedro Martinez, and we've done, you know, T-shirt giveaways with their, you know, name or likeness, and, and we can do all of that. But with it being the with, with if we're doing something specifically with the Brewers, we'll just, we'll want their um, kind of okay on it. But they know we're, we're we are going to always kind of promote missions of the past. Um, and, you know, we, and they know, they know that kind of that, how that works, you know, um, in a couple of years when, you know, we anticipate, for example, Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, being a big star in the major leagues, um, that's going to be a selling point for us that he was a mission. Okay, good. Yeah. So, so that's, and, and that's, you know, I think major league teams understand that that's how a lot of minor league teams do because, you know, their the affiliates change. Um, but, you know, we really like to tout, um, you know, the former great players that have been here. And I suppose this increases because now you're AAA. So you'll go into spring training with a lot of players that are going to be on the bubble longer than versus when you were a lower level. Right. This is this is um, something completely new for us, because generally, you know, by probably two and a half, three weeks into spring training, we're pretty much going to know um, our AA team. Um, they're going to, they're going to have said, okay, here's our double team. There might be a couple of changes by the time the training camp or spring training ends. Um, but, but double A it's, it's pretty well set. Triple A is completely different. We've been told that, you know, that those decisions might be made, you know, one to two to three days before opening day. Um, and so we, we won't know who our players are. Um, and then once we get our roster, it might completely change by first of May because of injuries and, and all of that. Yeah. That just has to be the hardest part of your process of just not knowing who's playing on your team until the season gets ready to start. You know, last year we had as a double a club, we had like 55 transactions over the course of the season. Um, I want to say Milwaukee said their triple a um, had about 200 transactions last year. Uh, and so the, the, the players are going to be kind of coming and going, coming and going, especially in a small market like Milwaukee, where, um, you know, a guy will make a start for, for the missions this right. year, who will go right up to make a start in the big leagues and then be sent right back down if he has options. And that's kind of how they manipulate the system and, and work within, um, you know, how they can, how they can kind of stretch out their pitching staffs. Um, but yeah, the transactions are going to be quite a bit more for us. Particularly a team like Milwaukee that I'm imagining is going to be relying on the minors a lot for starting pitching. Exactly. One of the cool things about San Antonio in general is just how loyal they are to their teams. You know, I've gone to a lot of missions games. There's always people there. There are stories about you know, Spurs when they land at the airport. People are waiting for them. How do you feel about the community involvement and how do you work to keep that community involved? You know, we've we've um, been excited because over the last three or four years, our attendance kind of keeps um, rising. You know, we're we're in a, a mature ballpark, so it's not, you know, the, kind of around 98, the honeymoon of, of Wolf Stadium being new kind of ended. Um, and then you started seeing kind of... Uh, attendance decrease a little bit and then kind of plateau. Um, but last year, for example, we had our best attendance year in 20 years since 19, since 1998. I believe you guys were one of MILB's biggest increases in attendance last year. We were, we were from a double A standpoint, the second biggest, um, increase. Um, and we increased by a little over 300 fans a game. Um, 
And so, and we were again really excited about that. You know, we just we have we do so much um, kind of fun marketing activities, um, and it's all designed at getting families out um, to kind of enjoy some entertainment. Um, we don't really market towards the hardcore baseball fans. Um, as kind of strange as that seems, our our you know, diehard baseball fans make up probably eight to ten percent of our fan base. The right. others are um, coming out because um, you know their sons in in a Boy Scouts and they're doing a camp over or, or a sleepover. Um, you know, a church might be coming out. You know, a business group might be coming out having a party on our deck, um, and they might not be either missions fans or or you know real big baseball fans, but they'll come out have a good time. Whether it's um, you know, to see fireworks or whether it's to get a jersey, you know, or whether it's, you know, a dollar night or a military appreciation event. We just, we try to do something every single game. It's tough over, you know, doing it over 70 games um, in a five-month period, but we, we try to do a promotion um, and, and have some type of attraction in addition to the play on the field that will draw people out. Um, and so that's kind of our task is to create those promotions and then market those and sell those, um, you know, with our internal sales staff. So really just last week, minor league baseball unveiled the teams for this year's Copa de la Diversión, the fun cup last year, San Antonio was tremendously successful with the flying chunklas. I was reading an article where y'all had ordered like 300 hats to sell and you sold 2000. Can you talk a little bit about the chunklas and the whole process? You know, it was it was, and I guess to start off, it, it's it's probably our biggest success story that we've had since you know Burl and myself, our president, and me have have been associated with the missions. It was it was really exciting um, promotion. Uh, minor league baseball was creating the this Copa program as as really a Hispanic fan initiative to. Um, kind of engage um, the Hispanic fans um, around the country um, and, and do it do it in a way where it wasn't it's not a, a pandering type of thing of hey we're just going to have one night for you come out um, it's it's it was it was designed to create a whole identity to really um, you know have the Hispanic communities input into what we were doing before we were doing it and then to um, kind of roll it out. And when we were selected to be one of the cities, um, we didn't want to just go, you know, just translate our name into Spanish. We didn't want to just go Los Missions or um, we wanted to kind of create a fun, vibrant um, persona. And so internally, you know, our, our, our front office is made up over, I think it's our last statistics were about 65% Hispanic in our front office. And so we, we really kind of did a, a big brainstorming session with all of our front office in, in creating kind of what our identity was. And we threw a lot of stuff out there, but when, when kind of the, the chunklas and then the flying chunklas were kind of uh, first said, it was like a light bulb went off in a lot of our heads of, oh, this could be a lot of fun. Um, this, you know, really kind of honors the abuelita of, you know, the kind of the uh, uh, matriarch of the family. Hispanics are all about kind of family um, family gatherings, family fun. And, and the chanclas being the symbol of kind of that leader of the Hispanic family, we're like, 
yes, this is great. And so then we started to build, really build the story around kind of the grandmother or the mother of the grandmother um, and the chancla and, um, you know, created the colors, created the logo. Um, and just, it, it just grew so organically that, um, that when it was unveiled last year in March, yeah, we had, we had 300 hats. We had 300 t-shirts. We didn't know the reception was going to be. And then within two hours, all of that was sold out and we were really kind of sold out of orders until about mid June till, until Avengers could supply us with enough um, merchandise. <laughs> and then we ended up, we ended up, that was a big part of why our attendance grew. We played every Thursdays as the flying John Close. Uh, we ended up doing just short of a million dollars in, in merchandise. Um, and that was all over the country. We were getting orders from really, we, we sent it to every state in the, in the union and um, it was a whole another process for us to um, kind of create a mail, the mail order process that right. to date, to date we had, ne- we had never really had to do, um, but it was, it was exciting. And um, so, and we're, um, you know, March 18th, um, we, we will be unveiling, um, you know, the minor league baseball has expanded that from 33 clubs to 70 clubs. Uh, right. We, we will be kind of unveiling on March 18th, fl- uh, the flying chunk was 2.0. Um, kind of, um, we're, we're introducing road caps, road jerseys, um, kind of a, a, a secondary logo that we that we didn't have last year, um, and so we're going to have a lot of fun with that. This podcast just got very expensive, but no, it's funny. Uh, my brother and I, when we had an episode of our podcast talking about it in general, we do a big promo section of the podcast every week, and we did want to point out that. The Flying Chancla isn't restricted to just Latinx cultures, that uh, my mother is Irish and definitely deployed that uh, method of discipline when I was a kid. Uh, Right. (laughs) That works. Now, a lot of teams do a lot of rebranding for a couple of nights. They might do a flash forward night or a faux back night. Will y'all be doing any of that or are just sort of missions and chanclas for the 2019 season. Right. We, we know this, um, you know, instead of, instead of just doing kind of the chanclas for, you know, three or four games and then doing kind of like a faux, faux back night or, or whatever, we, we just kind of wanted to do, we just wanted to do the chanclas, um, uh, pretty steady, really all of our Thursday, Thursday events. And then we're going to, our Cinco de Mayo game on Sunday, um, May fifth, we'll be playing Round Rock, and they'll be they'll be down here as the Chupacabras, so they'll be playing yeah. the, the. So that will be that will be pretty pretty much it. We'll be doing a couple of alternate jerseys um, that you know we'll do for charity auctions and that type of stuff. Um, and, and we're excited because our first Friday of the year, which is going to be April twelfth, um, with with the success of the Chunklas, we we never we didn't initially think that we were going to create a mascot, a special mascot just for the Chanclas, but um, basically organically, um, Bala Peño's grandmother, Mama Peño, kind of oh, came, in, my came into existence. She, you know, was was out here at all the flying Chancla games with her big um, oversized Chancla and her egg to kind of take the ojo off the kids and all of that. And she just became such a huge hit. And we, whether this is true or not, we like to claim that we have the only grandparent mascot in professional sports um, in Mama Peño. But 
she was such a hit. The first Friday of the year, we're giving away Mama Pena bobbleheads. Uh, um, you know, and we will see you that Friday. We're actually looking forward to it. Which I think will be will be cool. I'll make sure I'll put you know one or two away for um, so you don't have to get here at you know four o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, no, we are definitely coming out, and I will definitely let you know. But I do think it's cool in general how the teams in Texas, San Antonio, obviously with the Chanclas, Round Rock with the Chupacabras, have all really embraced actually trying to find an element of you know Hispanic culture, particularly in Texas, as opposed to just sort of having like the regular mascot in Spanish. And I, I don't know. I think it's really cool that Texas really kind of embraced – the fact that so much of our population is, you know, of Latin American descent. Well, exactly. And I, I think, it, I think it was important because, um, you know, and, and for a lot of those three markets, um, you know, the Hispanic market is our general market. Um, and so we can't just do something that, you know, uh, would, would have people rolling their eyes at it. Oh, look at, you know, Look at them, you know, if it wasn't authentic, um, it wouldn't be successful. Um, and the fact that, that I think it was so well received both in Corpus and Round Rock and, and in San Antonio, um, I think we all knew that. And, and again, all of our staffs are made up, um, of quite a bit of Hispanic, uh, heritage. And so the authenticity for for Texas, I think, that's, that showed that it was what you're talking about. Yeah, again, bravo. I think it's brilliant. So as we wrap up, you know, what's next for you? Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I, I, we're hoping five years from now that we're, you know, either in a new stadium or um, with the plans of the new stadium. San Antonio is home for me. Um, you know, I grew up here. My wife's from here. Um, I've worked in, in California and Salt Lake and Illinois and New Jersey with clubs. Um, and this is my, this will be coming up my 29th season in, in pro baseball. So, you know, ultimately this is kind of where I want to stay. I want to, I want right. to open up a triple A ballpark, um, make that, um, you know, one of the best in the country. And, um, that's kind of where I see, you know, my career kind of stay. Um, so hopefully I'm in the position that, um, I'm in for you know, the next love it for the next 15, 20 years. Well, David, again, thanks so much for joining Let's Get Two. Thanks for really, you know, uh, deciding to come on the show when there really wasn't a whole lot of proof of concept that the show would work. So it really meant a lot to us. And, you know, we're going to be out at least three or four games this season. and can't wait. Great. Always, always let me know when you're, when you're going to come down and, and um, we'll make sure we take care of you guys. So, again, thank you to David. Thank you to the entire San Antonio Mission staff for agreeing to come on the show. If you live in San Antonio, if you live in the central to west Texas area, if you like baseball and if you like a fun night out, by all means, you got to go. Of all the teams we've been to, they really do the best job of kind of capturing the local vibe of San Antonio, of their hometown, in their ball team. I'm so looking forward to the MLB season starting today and the minor league starting next week. It's hard not to be optimistic and feel like this is the best time of the year. And the best way to celebrate it is to get out to a park, get out to a game. If you've got kids, take them. We all know there's conflict sometimes between parents and children, particularly as kids get older. 
And I hate to admit that sometimes the only time I can talk to my dad are when we're at a baseball game. So go. You learn so much about each other by going to a ball game. Sometimes conversations that are hard to have at a dinner table are easier at the park, between batters, between innings, and between the opening of a peanut shell and the sip of a soda. If you're in a relationship, maybe it's a new one, maybe it's an old one, and maybe you're not that into baseball, but maybe they are, then go out to a baseball game. My absolute favorite person in the world to go to a ball game with is my wife, Jessica. I know that some of you think that maybe she does it because she loves me and she wants to go, but that's not the case. Jessica's not just my favorite person to do everything in the world with, but she really is my favorite person to go to a ballpark with. The weight of the world is gone. The weight of jobs and decisions about careers and the worry about what we should be doing and all the family drama that we have to manage is gone. For her, it's just a game and the atmosphere at the park. And sometimes, for me, it's jaw-dropping how beautiful she is in those moments. At a game, you might see something in your significant other that you've never seen before. An honesty, pure joy, that childlike wonder. And it's something that might make you fall in love with them all over again. You know, maybe you're new to a city and you want to find a way to connect with that town. Go to a ball game. You'll learn more about the culture of your city and the nine innings that you're at a baseball game than you will just bumming around trying to find your way. And maybe you lost someone. Someone who taught you the game or someone you shared the game with. A grandparent, a mom, a dad, a brother or a sister, a spouse, a really good friend. Maybe they passed away in the off-season or the off-season 15 years ago. Go to the game and spend time with them there because you're going to feel them. I guarantee it. There's not a single time when I don't sit down at a ballpark and think about my grandfather and I haven't been to a ball game with him in over 20 years. Go and enjoy the beauty that is the baseball field. The diamond is perfect. It's meticulous. It's 90 feet from base to base and 60 feet, 6 inches from the mound to home plate. But then the outfield It's always a little different. It's idiosyncratic, and it varies from place to place, and it's hard to figure. It's interesting, like life, like people. We're all running around, and we're racing around today, and we're trying to find the answer to these hard questions, and we find ourselves getting more and more divided over things like politics and religion and where our country is going. But the best parts of our country of our ideals are represented in this game. So if you're like me and you fight with your dad over the president and it feels like you can't stand to look at him because your point of view is so different, go to the ball game and realize that the things you have in common, the love for each other, the love for the game, your past history, all of that is so much more important than what's going on in a current political climate. So get out to the park this summer, feel the sun on your skin, smell the grass, Have a hot dog or three without ketchup if you must, but with ketchup. I know I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to this season more than I've looked forward to any of the baseball seasons that have come before it. I'm looking forward to being at the park with my wife. I'm looking forward to being at the park with my brother, Tim. And yes, I'm looking forward to being at the park with my dad and hearing about all the things he hates about the game that he so dearly loves. I'm looking forward to spending time at the game with my daughter, Jordan, trying my best to get back those summers when she was little and we couldn't go as often as I would have liked. And I'm looking forward to teaching the game and teaching the patience that it takes to love the game to my grandson, Braxton. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. I love the idea that sharing the game with you guys and hopefully 
You all are getting a little bit more enjoyment out of the game from listening to our show because I know from the feedback we've gotten, it's already been so cool and I'm learning so much more about the game just from you guys. So have a great summer at the park and I hope you'll be back next week. And as always, let's get to You're out at the old